0: Welcome to Appalachian Shine, the official podcast for the Foundation for Appalachian Advancement. And if you're listening to this, then consider yourself a part of the team. Stick around and let's shine a light on all things Appalachia. Today is October 24th, 2001. We're about a week away from Halloween, and we have uh, any number of fun things to do here in our region, here in Appalachia. Leading up to it, as a matter of fact, just last night I had some family that ventured out to uh, enjoy corn mazes and a haunted house. So, how fun is that here in our Appalachian region that there's no shortage of these things? However, like I said, today is October 24th, and on this day in history, something really interesting happened. On October 24th, 1901, a 63 year old school teacher named Annie Edison, or excuse me, Edson, Annie Edson Taylor, was the first person to successfully take the plunge over Niagara Falls in a barrel. Now, I don't know about you, <laughs> um, there is nothing that I could think of that would make me want to, uh, that someone could give me money or fame that would make me want to go over the over the falls in a barrel or otherwise. However, that's exactly what Annie Edson Taylor was after, money and fortune. After her husband died uh, in the Civil War, a New York-born uh, Taylor um, moved all over the U.S. before settling in Bay City, Michigan, around 1898. Now, in July 1901, uh, she was reading an article about this Pan-American exposition in Buffalo, and she learned of this growing popularity of these huge waterfalls that are on the border of upstate New York and Canada. Now, Annie was strapped for cash, and she desperately wanted to be famous. So she came up with the attention getting stumped she would go over Niagara Falls in a barrel. Now, she's not the first person to attempt the plunge. In October of 1829, a guy by the name of Sam, Pat, Sam Patch, uh, they called him the Yankee Leaper, uh, he survived uh, jumping down it's the 175-foot it's fall, that horseshoe fall of the Niagara River on the Canadian side. So more than 70 years later, Taylor... Comes up with the idea to do this on her birthday, October 24th. Now, at the time, she claimed she was in her 40s, but records show that she was actually 63. So she got a couple of assistants. Uh, she strapped herself into a leather harness inside this wooden uh, pickle barrel. It was about five feet high, three feet wide in diameter, you know. Had cushions on the inside to break her fall. So she was towed by this small boat out into the middle of the really fast part of the of the river, and they cut her loose. Now, she was probably just pelted from side to side in this thing as she goes over the rapids. Um, but she reached the shore alive 20 minutes later and uh, took a bunch of photo ops and had speaking engagements pretty much right after. But then, you know, that old saying, 15 minutes of fame, was really all it was. So she got a little famous for a short period of time, but she didn't... Make the fortune she was hoping for. Between This is the the crazy thing, though. Um, What she did actually inspired all kinds of other copycat daredevils over the years. Between 1901 and 1995, this was new to me, I read this, 15 people went over the falls. Ten of them survived. Among those who died was a guy by the name of Jesse Sharp in 1990 who went over in a kayak. Now, that's a 150-foot fall in a kayak. I I don't know why you do that. And then a guy by the name of Robert uh, Robert Overcracker, I'm not kidding about that name, he went over in 1995 using a jet ski, and he did not survive. Um, However, I wouldn't encourage anybody to do this because it's actually illegal, (laughs) and survivors uh, that do this face very, very stiff fines and uh, possible jail sentences in Canada. So, yeah, um, if you're a bit of a daredevil, note to self, don't do it. <laughs> but, like I said earlier, um, we we're about a week away from Halloween. And I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, i always heard this legend about this mysterious haunted lady in white. And I wanted to do a little research on this. And actually, I found some rather interesting, even there's a lot of different legends pertaining to the Lady in White, and locations where she's been seen uh, here in Appalachia. There's a really, really interesting story that um, there's no shortage of on YouTube, and I'll post some videos on our Facebook page, that takes place in Kingsport at a place called Rotherwood Mansion. Some of you may have heard of this, some of you may not. But Rotherwood Mansion is um, was built actually... Up on a hill on the banks of the North Fork, uh, near the you know right at the Holston River, it was built in 1818. Now this was before Kingsport was actually Kingsport. At the time, it was known as Rossville, and uh, Rotherwood Mansion. A Rotherwood Mansion uh, was built by a man by the name of uh, Frederick Augustus Rose, or excuse me, Ross. Um, so he he was actually a minister. He was a reverend. Now, he owned the sprawling plantation. And, you uh, know, he was actually the namesake for the town. Um, so, anyway, Frederick Ross's wife gave, you know, she had a baby, a little daughter named Rowena. And, you know, by all accounts, she, she grew up just a very popular young lady, very, you know, beautiful, well liked. And, you know, he, she was, you know, she was a. Uh, Daddy's little princess, you know. Um, Frederick thought the world of her. And he w- he made it a point to see to it that she had everything she wanted and then some. She actually had her educated in some of the uh, back east and New York and Philadelphia and some of the more reputable schools. So anyway, when Rowena graduated, she came home to Rotherwood and um, she was very, you know, I guess... At the time, very elegant and refined, I guess would be the words uh, I'm looking for. Um, so, you know, for all the things that she had going for, her, she had just like this perfect life. But when she came back to Rutherwood Roth- uh, Mansion, this is where life got a little bit dicey and actually very difficult for Rowena. So, once she got home, of course, all the local bachelors are pursuing Rowena. A lot of people were just enamored by her, her grace and charm. And um, anyway, she met the love of her life. And she got engaged uh, to be married. So they planned this big wedding. Now, she's very excited and you know, this young man is very excited and um, a bright future. Everyone expects it. But she was not to be married. Her fiance drowned right in front of her very eyes when his boat capsized. He was out fishing. Right on the right on the on the Holston River, right in front of Rotherwood Mansion. And she witnessed it. And now you can imagine just being madly in love, and then this happening. You know, she's just psychologically and emotionally destroyed so she became a recluse at that point and i guess her depression got worse and worse and worse and she actually seldom nobody you know seldom ever seen her leave the house so after a couple years go by she was you know able to maybe start dating again she was trying to pick up the pieces and become more emotionally stable and again she fell in love with another young young man edward temple from knoxville and this guy was really really rich really wealthy so their relationship progressed to the point where they announced their engagement. And, you know, this is terrible, but for whatever reason, you know, fate steps in again and pulls a rug right out from under her. Um, Not long after they were married and they had a daughter together, uh, Edward uh, caught yellow fever while he was down in New Orleans. And um, he died, and it left her just, like, just emotionally distraught, depressed, psychologically just destroyed again. You know, now she's a single mother and a widow. And anyway, she just plunged even deeper in this path of depression and and you know just 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 a hardship. Well, a few years go by. Um, she ends up getting married again, uh, this time to a guy by the name of Wescom Hudgens. Now, this didn't last long either. She really never recovered from the first two deaths. So when her daughter, was, she was, I think I heard she was six, Rowena took her own life. And in a most tragic way, too, she walked down to the river walked into it, walked, and this was down when they, she lived in Alabama with uh, her husband, she walks into the river and drowns herself. Now, some people, I guess, had speculated that um, she was sleepwalking, maybe lured down there by a dream, and she was maybe trying to find the, recapture the love of her first husband. And some just say that she was still never really recovered and so depressed that she just felt like she had to take her own life and that was the easiest way to do it. Well, anyway, she left behind, you know, a husband and, you know, a daughter that wasn't his um, to try to uh, come to grips with what, what just happened. I mean, you know, she had all these tragedies and then doing this, she caused tragedy for her daughter and her husband. Now, she died in Alabama, but apparently people have seen the ghost of Rowena back in Kingsport. And she's been, I guess, for like two centuries, people have seen the ghost of the lady in white. Now, they've even seen her walking along the riverside. Um, and they say the reason she's in white, she's wearing her white wedding dress that she had planned to be married into her first fiance. And uh, and she, I guess, affectionately is called the Lady in White. As I was researching this, um, so maybe that's you know one of the other one more legend of the Lady in White in our region. Um, but you know this this is a terrible thing. I guess you go back to uh, Reverend Frederick Ross, her dad. Uh, he ran into a lot of financial trouble. I guess he invested in a cotton factory, and it it didn't work out. And he was forced to sell Rotherwood Mansion in 1853. Now, this is where the mansion actually takes a really dark, even darker turn than what it had already. Um, So, the deed transfer uh, that ended their family line owning the property, but it actually. you know, it he uh, it actually went to uh, another man uh, after he sold the estate, and and he moved. Uh, the man who took over was by the name uh, Joshua Phipps. Now, this man was brutal. Joshua Phipps was a slave owner and turned that into a slave plantation. Uh, this guy was sadistic. He would he had uh, it was said that he had a whipping post erected inside the property. To discipline the slaves and was not hesitant at all to use this now he was not only was he cruel but he had a a black mistress and who was once a slave herself uh from what i read and she aided him in all this cruelty for whatever reason and um you know he's he he worked these these folks and and Beat these folks so much um, that he—I mean—he was just driven toward like seeing this plantation flourish, and he used his brutality at and, and he didn't hold back any, and uh, so was, you know just just a terrible, terrible person. Well, anyway, um, he did—he did work it into a you know flourishing plantation, but that all came to a halt in 1861. Right, at, you know, right up at the Civil War. And he died. And this is a crazy story how he died. Um, he, he got this, I guess, some mysterious illness. Nobody really knows what it was. And it uh, uh, had him uh, bedridden. Now, he was just getting sicker and just, just worse. He was obviously not getting get, going to get better. He ordered one of his slaves to uh, stand by his bedside and constantly wave a fan to keep him cool. Now, one night, as he was laying there sleeping, you know this uh, this man that he ordered to stand there, waving the fan, uh, made a, made a claim that he saw a swarm of flies come into the room, completely fill this man's nose, his mouth. It was so thick that uh, Phipps couldn't breathe, and he just suffocated. Before um, and then the flies, for you know, flew out of his out of his crevices. And out the window. Um, now, at that point, I mean, that's a crazy story how the flies just came in to murder this guy. <laughs> you know, so who knows. But um, anyway, once he died, uh, the remaining slaves that had just been brutalized, well, they killed his mistress, I guess, as payback for her part in, uh, in all their suffering over the years. And uh, they they buried her body in an unmarked grave somewhere on the estate. No one really knows where it's at. But here's where the story gets crazier with the Rotherwood mansion. So this big crowd gathers around for Phipps' funeral. And, uh, you know, they're having a ceremony there at the estate. And and there's all these people there. Well, as the hearse was carrying uh, Phipps' coffin up this hill uh, to be buried, the horses pulling the weight they started to get jittery and uh and it's almost like they couldn't they're having a hard time pulling the coffin well a storm was brewing in the distance and it quickly came upon everybody's dark clouds surrounding everyone looking very ominous now when i was reading this i was thinking wow um sounds like something out of a horror movie right well sort of um the more the clouds came around the area it got darker and darker a large dog, this black dog, pops up out of his coffin and ends up running down the hill and just disappeared. No one knows where it went. Everyone's looking on, like, whoa, whoa what just happened? You can imagine the shock of that. Like, where did this dog come from? This big, black, menacing dog. Well, right about that time, just the rain came down and just started soaking everybody. And, uh,. Anybody, you know, everyone just, you know, they quickly buried the coffin, um, laid the man to rest, and then got out of out of the uh, rain and, you know, to shelter. Well, you know, as if having the original ghost, the lady in white, wasn't enough, now Rotherwood Mansion has apparently four ghosts. All right, so Joshua Phipps and his mistress apparently haunt the place. Um... Now they actually had the place open for a while, and people had seen that stayed there had seen the lady in white, but they also seen Joshua and his mistress, and they like I guess they would they would uh, pull the covers off of people when they were sleeping or or they would hear like this crazy laughter, or, or being shoved from you know just by nothing you know an, an invisible entity, and then they'll hear this hound of hell as they call it howling during storms and that's you know that's so four ghosts in one mansion is enough well anyway um people have you know seen these for decades actually 200 years now um the house itself actually had well, changed hands several different times um during, leading up to world war ii it was actually uh, an army post and then um a guy, well, actually, John B. Dennis, who was one of the uh, more important people in in developing Kingsport. He was a politician back in the day uh, who, who uh, he was designing Kingsport as a model city, as they call it. Well, he owned the property for a little while. And then right now, it's, uh, from last I heard, it's it's in private ownership. It's not open to the public. However, ghost sightings are still occasionally reported in the area. Um I don't know how the new owner is dealing with it, but Rotherwood Mansion seems like a, certainly a, one heck of an interesting, spooky place right here in the middle of Appalachia. Now, I would suggest we go visit it, but like I said, it's private owners, not open to the public. Maybe that'll change at some point. Um, I know that they certainly did this, uh, open it back up to the public and, and groups to come in and investigate at General Graham's Mansion in Wytheville and St. Albans and Radford. So maybe one day Rutherwood Mansion will follow suit and people can go see for themselves. But that place certainly has a history. And uh, right here in our backyard. So what kind of uh, interesting spooky stories and legends do you have in your hometown here in Appalachia? Would love to hear them. But uh, thanks again for tuning in. This has been a kind of a fun topic to talk about. We'll keep this one short and sweet today. And we'll come back again before Halloween with another uh, interesting mystery from Central Appalachia. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, if you want, you can jump over on Facebook and uh, look for us, facebook.com forward slash support Appalachia. And I will have uh, maybe a couple of videos um, about this topic put on the Facebook page so you can watch. And uh, I'll, I'll have this uh, link posted up. You can listen to us on Podbean, Spotify, Amazon, Apple iTunes, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and uh, visit us online at supportappalachia.org. We certainly appreciate you being a part of the team and uh, helping us pay it forward. One other thing I want to mention is uh, don't forget uh, what I uh, brought up a couple episodes ago about the, Apple, uh, the um, Amazon Smile program. Make sure to go to smile.amazon.com and uh, pick the Foundation for Appalachian Advancement to be the charity that you want to support with your online purchases through Amazon. It goes a long way, and we certainly make a, a, We certainly appreciate it. Tell your friends and family to do the same. Uh, and if you don't choose us, pick another good local charity, something that you want to support. There's no reason to not take two seconds when you check out on Amazon. You go to smile.amazon.com and click on your on your uh, cart and buy there. So thank you so much, everyone. Have a great weekend. We'll see you down the road.